servant leadership right here how appropriate for leadership day how's everybody doing god is good and all the time the name is john mcgee she already told you that i pastor in cottage grove if you come to church it's the most integrated assimilated intergenerational socially integrated church you'll ever see our races, we have 28 different people groups who attend church on a Sunday morning. Some people go, how's that possible? They look at me and say, John, what's your secret? I tell them, I don't know. I have no idea, except for God is good. And you know what? Hell, go ahead, finish it up, finish it up. I'm kind of like the geek guy. I don't do those things real well. Like some people do like the slogan church stuff really well. I don't. I'll mess it up every time just like you just did. You busted me. But here it is. Um, I've got about three quarters of a million dollars invested in this, uh, this school. I've got five graduates. And, and my wife and I attended here. And this is where we met. We used to hang out in chapel and do what you guys do. And I love North Central. It is a great part of my life. I'm here to talk to you about leadership. So let's get it on. I want to talk to you about divine and humane leadership. See, the goal of divine and humane leadership is to save the people and save the planet. Say it with me. Save the people and save the planet. What you've got to get in touch with is that everything about where you're at right now and what you're doing with God was a fix-up job. From the beginning, from the fall, it has been a fixer-upper, and that's what we've been in, fixing it up, and it's getting better every day. Somebody say amen to that. Do you realize there will be more believers that believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God when we leave this chapel than there were than when you walked in? Amen. Jesus is winning today all around the world. Glory to God. So we are here to extend his legacy of saving the people and saving the planet. See, the origin of leadership is truly different. Divine. When leadership was introduced by Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, then through Moses, it was during the Iron Age where people, the leaders were pretty much pyramid builders and people that were very powerful and rich and, and they were basically made everyone else invest in them. It wasn't servant leadership. You know, someone say, I enjoy the architecture of the pyramid, but when I think about the manpower that was used and, and what it costs for a man to build a monument to himself, I'm less impressed. So one thing it does say that we have the potential to do great things, but without humanity, those great things add up to nothing but monuments that are large that we just go, wow, wow, how did they do that? So here it is. When Moses comes along, like he ends up, everybody say the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, right? What, what, what's the difference between the Ten Commandments and Hammurabi's rule of law? I mean, there were other rules of law during the Iron Age, but the Ten Commandments and the Hebrews, uh, a, a part of the commandment was this. Their commandments were different simply because they were humane. The Ten Commandments applied to everyone. All the other laws and every other nation around them, the laws only apply to those that were poor and disadvantaged. 
If you were rich, the laws did not apply to you. So what makes the Hebrew and monotheism unique to anything on the earth and has the ability to save the earth and has saved the earth up until this point, it is that it is humane and the rule of law applies to everyone. Someone say amen. Thou shall not kill whether you're the king or the pauper. It does not matter. You will worship God and God alone. Yet those guys, they wanted you to worship them. Ten Commandments, laws on how to engage God and how to engage one another. Amen. It's a good God. Everybody say, I serve a good God. So true divine humane leadership began with monotheism. Stop texting me right now, Francine. Amen. And the Messiah is our measure. Everyone say, the Messiah is our measure of leadership. In Revelations 1, when Jesus is introducing the resurrected Jesus, the Jesus that macked hell, death, and the grave, and now everything goes through him, amen. In this life and in the afterlife and in my past, it all goes through him. It says one of the titles he has is that he is the ruler of the kings of the earth, or he is the leader of the leaders of the earth. He is the litmus test for every leader of every type in the world. Jesus is the measure, and all of them in some way must take on Jesus' profile. And do what Jesus did as a leader on this earth. He is the king of the people of the earth, of the leaders of the earth. So there are three words I want you to run with this morning. Three words. Here they are. Say them with me. Say empathetic. Say merciful. Say messianic. Say it again. Say empathetic. Merciful. Messianic. First of all, leadership, true leadership, true divine humane leadership must be empathetic must be empathetic. The Messiah, he was a servant. He was a high priest. Not only was he a high priest, but he was a... Give me a second here. I don't usually do this with my phone. Okay, empathetic, merciful, Messiah. That's what I thought. Okay, he's a high priest and a shepherd. Everybody say he's a high priest. He is a shepherd. Stop texting me. (laughs) Oh, airplane mode. Thank you. Guys, speak amongst yourself. The topic is messianic leadership. Go ahead, talk. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. There it is. Save the planet. Rule the kings of the earth. Three words. Say them with me. Empathetic, merciful, messianic. As empathetic, he's a servant, he's a high priest, and he's a shepherd. Jesus ascribed servitude to power. If you ascribe servitude to power, guess what? You have the ability to save the earth. You have the ability to save the people. He said in Mark 10, Jesus called them together and said, you know the other leaders of the earth, they they lord over you and they exercise authority over you. But not so with you. Everyone say, not so with you. And not so with me. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you, he must first become a servant. And whosoever wants to be first must be servant of who? All. 
of. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but come to serve other and give his life for many. Amen and amen. So first of all, he's a servant king. After that, he's a high priest. For the scripture says we have a high priest that understands our feelings, that understands where we are. That's why he died. That's why he said, not my will, but thy will be done. You know, Jesus was most human when he was on the cross. And when he was hanging on the cross, he said a lot of interesting things that people say when they're in pain. But this moment on the cross, he says these words that are really interesting. He says, my God, my God, why hath thou forsaken me? What? And at that moment, Jesus, as the Messiah, identified with every human being on earth. All of us at some point in time feel like we are forsaken by God, feel like God may have forgotten us. That is part of our human condition. The scripture says, as a father pitieth his children, God understands that we have limitations and he does not hold our sins against us, but instead he embraces us and he's here to develop us. He is here to help. Jesus is here to help this morning and he understands the way that you feel. I've learned a lot from Jesus. I am a 40-month pancreatic cancer survivor. Right on. Ninety-two percent of people with the same diagnosis will die within 18 months. For a matter of fact, that's what they told my wife 40 months ago. He'll be dead in 18 months. And so I begin to look to the Lord. I begin to pray. I begin to find in Jesus, the high priest. Hey, guys, anything you overcome, you become a high priest for. Everything you overcome, you become a high priest. There were times that I was in treatment, and I would have to do funerals for guys that were in treatment with me because they would pass away before me. One of them called me one night and said, John, I'm going to, I'm going to drop the treatment. I said, well, what? He says, well, what I want to ask you is if I die, will you do my funeral? And I paused a second and said, but what if I die before you? Will you do my funeral? He said, no, John, I will not do your funeral. But promise me, if I die, will you do mine? I said, yeah. So he's going to do some holistic work, and then he, he dies within three weeks of the phone call. And so his wife says, you're doing a funeral. I said, yeah, but it's on Tuesday. I'm in the second day of treatment on that day. But I made a promise. See, in chemotherapy, you, you have three days for pancreatic cancer. It's for Fearnox. It's the most difficult, dangerous uh, chemotherapy you get. You have three days where you, one day you hooked up for nine hours and they're poisoning you. Then you wear a portable pump where they pump you for a couple of days. And so I'm doing David's funeral. And while doing David's funeral, I have the pumps attached to me, and I have chemo chemotherapy tracing through me. It's one of the most ironic experiences that I ever had in my life. But then I began to identify with Jesus as a high priest. For everything you overcome, you become a leader of. You become a high priest for amen. And I've been able to help so many people who have been walking through the cancer journey. Glory to God. Jesus taught me something about his high priesthood. He says, you know what, John, when you think about your body, think about a temple. 
And Jesus said about his body, tear this temple down in three days, I'll build it up again. So every time I would go into treatment for three days, I would think about what Jesus said. I would go in thinking, you know what? This stuff is going to kill good cells and bad cells. But on the other side of it, Lord, I must make a determination that I will build it back up again because I can do it with your help. Let the church say amen. And after eight rounds, 25 rounds of radiation, 25 rounds of lighter chemotherapy, a 12-hour Whipple surgery when they remove all your vital organs inside, then put them back in again. The doctor came into my room and said, John, you're not only healed, you're cured. There is not a trace of pancreatic cancer in you. Now, here's the deal. Then they did a biopsy of, of the pancreas and the portion that they'd taken out. And I couldn't believe that you could even measure this, but the doctor came in and said, John, on the piece that we removed from you, we found one microcell of cancer on it. One. So if I don't have the surgery, that one microcell will become 20, 20 become 1,000. Thank God for medical science. Thank God for development. Thank God for everything we have. How many are grateful for everything you have this morning? I certainly am. Not only is he my high priest that gives me identification, he is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. There is no wanting when Jesus is the leader. And with that being said, I want to sing a song. Okay. I got two mics. So the doctor told me, John, you have pancreatic cancer. You've got six months to live. Then he gave me the bill. I said, doctor, I can't pay this in six months. Okay, John, I will give you 18 months to live. Amen. <laughs> so I was a little irritated by how inconsistent he was with what he had to say. So I shot him. Judge gave me 18 years. Ah, oh, come on. That's funny. I don't care where you're from. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall He makes me lie down in the pasture. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He is my friend in righteousness for Thank you. 
where the Lord is leader, there is no want. Say it with me. Where the Lord is leader, there is no want. Only opportunity. Only opportunity where the Lord is leader. Let's go to the next point. He's a merciful God. He's a merciful God. So as, as a leader, a divine leadership sits on the mercy seat. How many know the Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle? It was just a show you how to approach God, a place where God and man would meet in the wilderness as they pro progress. And there they had, you know, the, the grill for people to have their sins forgiven. What great psychology to have your sin forgiven. You bring the best food and someone cooks it for you and you guys eat. God celebrates forgiving your sins. Then there's the brazen uh, basin, or not the brazen, the basin that's made of the mirrors of the women of Israel. So every time the priests looked at it, they would see themselves before they saw the people. Because self-reflection is very important for saving the world. And being a leader, you need to be reflective. You need to examine yourself and see if you're in the faith. Then you move into the middle court. And there in the middle court, you find the menorah, the energy of God, the Holy Spirit of God, the DNA in the God of you that is awakened in you. Then you come to the showbread table where they put bread every day. And on this table was this golden rim around it. And the golden rim around it was to remind you that God has put the natural order together. Photosynthesis, sun, moon, and star, gravitational pull of the moon and everything. And a sun, all of this so that you can eat. Say, give us this day our daily bread. As you continue to approach God. You come to the place of worship where you worship together without shame, without blame, and without regret. Oh, worship the Lord with me and magnify his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all our fears. We worship in this room because we've been delivered from all of our fears. Some of you are bashful people when you were children, but here you're at the altar because of Jesus, just jumping and shouting and rejoicing the Lord because you are liberated from fear. Amen. If you're liberated from fear, give God a praise offering right on. Right on. But when you go into the holy of holy place, you find God, and that's where he's personal, because only one can go in. And you go in there, and you find God, and God is sitting on the mercy seat. And the mercy seat has three things that God will provide for you. Number one, the mercy seat has within it divine provision, the manna. Everybody say, what is it? Proving to you that no matter what happens in this life, when you've come to the end of yourself, God will provide for you. If you're a witness of that, say amen. He will provide. Also, you find in there, I talked about the Ten Commandments. You find equity. You find fairness in the mercy seat. And you find Aaron's rod that budded. Aaron's rod budded because leadership was being rebelled against in the wilderness. But it wasn't because the people that rebelled shouldn't have wanted to be. They should aspire to be leaders. But the problem was that they, they beat down the existing leaders and did not honor them. It's not honor earned. It's honor due. Look at your neighbor say it's honor due. Because, you know, no matter what happens, there's always going to be a person sitting in the office of parent, sitting in the office of president, sitting in the office of priest. There's always going to be somebody sitting in that office, and the office is necessary to save the world. So the Bible requires that you honor the office and the person within it and pray them for them on a regular basis. Let the church say, Amen. The last part of leadership, 
divine and humane leadership is messianic. And with messianic leadership, I'm going to find my scripture here. It's Luke 7, 23. And in the story that's told about Jesus, you're going to find three things that Jesus prioritized, that every leader in any industry, if they prioritize these three things, they're going to, their people are going to be successful. Because I'm not successful as a leader if those around me are not successful that I lead. And these three things are health and healing, equity and education. Say them with me, health and healing, equity and education. Now, Mark, the Bible, Luke's Bible says this. When the men were come unto him, they said, John the Baptist have sent us to you, saying, Are you the Messiah, or should we wait for another? First of all, John the Baptist asking this question is a public relations nightmare. John the Baptist's only job on the planet at that time for that season was announced that Jesus was the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He declared it, but he took too much time not getting on Jesus' team. He either should have retired and finally ate some food and gave up his Nazarite vow. Have a steak, man. You don't have to eat bugs and honey anymore. Go on vacation. Or join Jesus' team. Be on Jesus' team. But he didn't do either of the two. Instead, he got guilty when one of his disciples asked him, and he said, I must decrease so that you can increase. Yeah, really, dude, you need to get off the scene. But he didn't. Then he ended up in jail, and in jail, a little bit upset, a little bit unnerved, wondering if he was going to die. And in that moment of despair, he sent disciples because so, maybe if Jesus is not the guy, then maybe I'll get out of this prison. Maybe I'll get out of this jail and I'll get to finish my mission that I thought I had finished. But it wasn't true. He made a couple of wrong choices. Everybody makes wrong choices around there, right? Amen. It's not the end of the world. A few wrong choices. So the disciples came to John, to Jesus. They said, are you the Messiah? Wait for another. The Bible says that Jesus didn't say nothing. And that's one thing leaders have to remember. The Bible says he actually began to work for an hour. He healed people, ministering people. He was doing what he was doing when those guys came to question his validity. He kept doing the work. Look at your neighbor and say, keep doing the work. And don't answer your critics. Keep doing the work and do not answer your critics. Let the work speak for itself. If the work is not speaking loud enough, work harder. Keep working. Because what you do will produce. It will happen. So finally, he said, he looked up after an hour. He said, tell John these three things. He said, in the same hour, he cured many people of their sight, evil spirits, and the whole thing. And Jesus replied, said, go back and tell John what you've seen and heard. Tell him the blind receive sight, the lame walk, and the deaf hear. Everyone say health and healing is a priority. Anything you do in this life, if you're concerned about the health and healing of others, if you're concerned about the health and healing of yourself, you'll be okay. It'll be okay. Then he said, tell John that the lepers are cleansed and the dead are raised. Everyone say equity. 
because the lepers were the outsiders. You're not supposed to touch a dead body. All of this is uncleanness. Think about bias in your culture. Think about bias all around you. What are the predisposed things that we think about that we think are unclean? And the Lord is saying, don't, de- don't call things I've declared clean unclean. What things must we unpack in our thoughts, in our ideas, or in our orientation? When you start learning, you stop growing. Keep learning. Keep growing. Because Jesus was about equity. If you could touch the leper, if you could touch the dead, you can touch your neighbor and love on them. You can care for the the, the person that's along the side of the road and help them. Someone say amen to that. And finally, he said this. And the good news is preached to the poor. The good news is preached to the poor. Everyone say education. Because the reality is that if you educate the poor, the probability is that they won't be poor anymore. You begin to move the probabilities in the favor of humanity. You begin to move the probabilities in the favor of progress. You are benefactors of centuries of enlightened people that have given you opportunities that you must pass on to others that go beyond the church. All the education majors in the room, stand up. Where are you at? All the education guys. Stand up, guys. There's the priesthood. Welcome to the priesthood. Welcome to the priesthood. Because you're going to have as much student loan debt as the guy that's going to be a hedge fund manager. But there's one educator, professor someplace, that makes $120,000, and that's about the cap. Hedge fund manager has the same student debt. He will make nearly a billion dollars. Some of them can. Someone say, well, that's not fair. Is he more important than the other? Does money determine if you're important? No. You're in the priesthood. You're servant leaders. You've laid down your life. And trust me, every time you're feeling it, educators, and you're out there doing the work, that's ministry work. That's ministry work. God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. And finally, Jesus said this about being a leader. He said this to John. He said, blessed are those. They're not offended that I educate the poor. They're not offended that I heal the sick. They're not offended that I would touch the unclean or unwanted. They're not offended that I would embrace all of humanity for the glory of God. The Lord. Would you bow your head and close your eyes all around the room? Education. Equity. Health and healing. Mercy. Empathy. That's the mantra of the Bible. We have an eye priest whose major theme is that in his life, he cared about others. That's leadership. The significant leaders of industry that we remember, like Henry Ford, he cared about his workers, reduced the work week, caused people to have more and do more more. 
Everyone's a leader. And the first leadership position you have is over your own life. Where are you at in that this morning? How are you leading your own life? Do you care about your health? Do you care about your being fair and equitable education? Are you merciful? Are you a merciful leader to yourself? Are you kind to yourself? Do you have empathy for your journey that brought you this far? Bless your journey. You are fearfully and magnificently made in the image of God and called according to his purpose. So I want you to repeat after me a closing prayer. I believe God created the heavens and the earth. I believe Jesus is the Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life. I believe Jesus made a decision out of love and obedience. He went to the cross and died for all humanity. I believe on the third day, the Father brought him back to life again. Now this one, this part's really important, okay? I believe the same Spirit that raised Christ from the grave now lives in me, empowering me to do the good, acceptable, and perfect will of my Father in heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. If he's your Lord, give him a praise offering. Thank you for being so attentive this morning. God bless you all. Can we thank Pastor John once again? That was such a great word. So we are going to transition. I'm just going to give a quick little instruction. Um, as always, if you do want to stay in the chapel and pray, the altars are always open for you to do that. Um, as you were coming in, you probably saw all the tables out in the atrium. Um, since this is Leadership Chapel, um, we are hosting something called the Leadership Expo out in the atrium now for the next little while. If you've ever been interested in student leadership of any kind, Res Life or student organizations, today is the day where you can sign up to get more information about how to apply for those positions for next year. There will be some student leaders and Res Life leaders out there to answer your questions. You can pick up a pamphlet to apply. You can pick up information on all of those positions. So if you've ever even just thought about it a little bit, um, grab some information, stop at one of our tables um, and you are officially dismissed. Have a great day.